Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Sam Jacques, VP of Clinical Engineering with McLaren Healthcare. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, this brief word from our sponsor. Your organization doesn't compromise on patient care, so why compromise in the endpoints you deploy? iGel is the ultimate operating system for healthcare organizations using VDI, DAS, or SAS. And we're offering a free laptop on which to experience iGel's no compromise OS. Just visit iGel.com slash why compromise. Sam, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Anthony. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Looking forward to a fun chat. So, Sam, you want to start off by telling me a little bit about your organization and your role? Sure. So, McLaren Health is a 14-hospital system in Michigan and Ohio, uh, and I run the clinical engineering department. So, that's the department that maintains all the medical equipment across all of our 14 hospital systems. Very good. Maintains medical equipment. We'll get into that a little more. Uh, But first, do you want to tell me a little bit about your career journey, how you wound up in the position you're in? Sure. So uh, I've been in healthcare about 15 years now. Uh, I actually came from a a completely different background. Uh, I was a professor for for a couple of years before transitioning into healthcare. Uh, I've uh, ran programs at Texas Children's Hospital down in Houston, as well as Penn State uh, in Pennsylvania. And then I've been here at McLaren for about three years now. So what made you uh, interested in this particular field of work? Uh, How did that transition happen? So I actually taught biomedical engineering. And so transitioning into healthcare is just doing what I used to teach. So uh, it's wonderful to be to be able to give back, right? Those of us that work in healthcare uh, kind of have this mission and vision to really uh, help individuals, right? And uh, do the best that we can with, uh, in my instance, technology. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit more about the role um, of, of clinical engineering and just for my benefit, is it the same thing as biomedical engineering? Are they slightly different? Um, just tell, I remember our readers are primarily the CIOs, and for this interview, it'll be a lot of CISO types. So sure. usually they're they're not coming from the clinical side, they're coming at it from the technology side. Um, and I've heard a lot of questions in the past. They ask each other, well, where does it sit in your organization? Where does it sit in your organization? They're trying to see... Um, because maybe it's not optimal everywhere in terms of the way it's set up, or at least there are questions if it could be set up differently. But tell me more about the clinical engineering role, uh, and then we'll go into where it sits in your organization. Go ahead. Thank you. Sure. So clinical engineering is also known as biomedical engineering, which is also known as healthcare technology management. So years and years ago, um, it actually started as a subset of biomedical engineering. So individuals can go out and get a degree a bachelor's, a a master's degree in biomedical engineering. Those individuals uh, have a a wide range of areas they can go into, right? One of those subgroups is clinical engineering, right? Which is the application of technology within the hospital setting. If you don't want to work in a hospital and you have a biomed degree, you can end up designing new medical equipment. You can end up doing research, all kinds of other stuff. Mm -hmm. But within the hospital, um, historically, it's been called clinical engineering. The problem is, right, in most, uh, in the U.S. at least, American institutions do not provide a BS in clinical engineering. You have to get your bachelor's in biomed and then use this as a subgroup. Now, probably about 10 years ago, AMI, the Association for Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, which is our primary primary, um, 
body that works with uh, biomedical engineers tried to rebrand because it's very confusing when some departments are called biomed, some departments are called clinical engineering. So they came up with healthcare technology management as the, as the nomenclature. So across the country, you'll see uh, departments called biomedical engineering, you'll see departments called clinical engineering, and you'll see departments called healthcare technology management. And so there is no one uh, correct way uh, but fundamentally, regardless of what we're called, within the hospital, we're the department that helps um, maintain, define, choose, uh, and support, right, all the medical equipment across the industry. And then now, to I, your point... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, you're fine. To your point, we we also don't standardly report anywhere, right? So, again, historically, before technology became um, uh, ubiquitous... Uh, Biomed was usually aligned with the facilities department, right? Because they fixed the boilers and the chillers. And then we turned around and fixed the medical equipment. And so um, in the U.S., about a third of, of biomed departments actually report to facilities, right? Now, as technology got very uh, advanced and we got systems like physiological monitoring and systems that integrate to the network uh, and, you know, and run on all kinds of, of Windows-based platforms, that changed. And so at this point, about a third of departments report up through IT. And so they may report to the CIO directly. They may report to infrastructure. Sometimes they align us very well with the field services group, the right, that touch all the, the computers. Uh, because again, they touch the technology piece. We touch the computers that then touch the medical equipment. Uh, so that works. And then the last third of us uh, are are people who report everywhere else, right? <laughs> so some of us report to, you know, the chief administrative officer, some of us report to supply chain. Um, there's a lot of, of places and parts uh, throughout the country where individuals report. My direct report is actually the chief administrative officer. Uh, and so I don't report either through supply chain uh, or finance or IT. But of course, we have to work with all of those groups across uh, the system to, to implement the technology that we support. And so it's interesting. It makes me think that people often say it's not it's not the so important where you report. You know, it's relationships that matter. You have to build relationships. I'm imagining if you have the right people, anything can work. But if you have the wrong people, almost nothing can work. You 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 do want to get the reporting structure optimal, and then have the best people. So you don't you don't want a suboptimal reporting structure. What do you think? If you were greenfielding out a health system, what would you, how would you design it in terms of clinical engineering? Where would it sit? Who would it report to? That type of thing. So I appreciate our current reporting structure insofar that from a, a, a chief administrative officer perspective, um, right, I'm aligned with uh, a little bit of everything, right? So, so supply chain rolls up through us, all the contracts that I manage. Um, right, all the legal stuff that we go ahead and do to purchase equipment, to do RFPs, to select equipment, gets aligned very well. And so our organization is is very focused on a appropriate choice of technology as well as the appropriate implementation. Specifically for our system, our IT is outsourced to a third party, and so reporting up through IT becomes problematic. Mm. Uh, and so I really, I really think it depends on your organization. But for our organization and the way we're focused and and how our IT is outsourced, we're appropriately structured. Um, if you have different circumstances, obviously, if your IT is in source, 
BRIT is a strong driver of selection of, of, of equipment and technology, and you have strong standardization, I can see a case where uh, clinical engineering easily reports up through IT because we're aligned um, on that point as well. So it can be done any number of ways. Um, and, and and depending on how you're reporting, uh, some things may be easier for you to control and some things may be harder. If you're going up through facilities, there may be some upside to that and some downside and different upside and downside for IT and different upside and downside for the other mixture. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. But to your point, it's all about relationships, right? If you can build the appropriate relationships uh, and drive standard process and drive best practices, it truly doesn't matter where you report. It's all about, again, you know, a lot of us are focused on what's best for the patient. Did we pick the appropriate technology? Did we implement it in the most optimal way? We train our staff to use it appropriately, uh, you know, and did we get the, the best price for it, right, from a, a supply chain negotiation perspective? Exactly. Understood. Um, let's talk about, you know, I come at this a lot, usually from the security point of view, from the CISO's point of view. Um, this is one of those little areas that are very challenging for CISOs to get their arms around uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, let's talk about some of those. The interesting nature of these devices, they're very expensive, right? Extremely expensive. So you want to get your money's worth out of it, so to speak. And they have, in a sense, an extremely long shelf life, right? So expensive, they can last a long time, but <clears throat> they outlive their operating systems, right? So you have this, this foundational part of the technology that at some point is no longer supported, uh, no longer patching, patches released, that kind of thing. So uh, they're still valuable, they're still viable, but in a sense, they're they're problematic. Uh, you have the you have the FDA involved, um, and the, and you, you talked about that when I met you, uh, that that you had some communication with them or thought you were making some progress with them. Uh, they're involved, and they say or the vendors say that they're told that you can't you can't don't touch these you can't do it. And I heard a CIO uh, talking about this with me the other day that they had something they wanted to do to a medical device. They, they thought from a patient safety point of view needed to be done. And the vendor, the manufacturer told them, do not do it. You cannot do it. Or we will not support these devices anymore. So you have this dynamic, the FDA is involved. Um, they're small and mobile, so you could lose them in a closet. A lot of them, obviously not, not the bigger ones, but some of them you can. They're also delicate in the sense that I've heard in terms of, of finding them, scanning them, you have to be very delicate, passive uh, detection because you can mess them up. Um, so, so a lot of people, when I talk about all this, they say, well, segmentation, you know, you got a network seg segment on, on the network, which sounds like it should be a cure-all, but apparently it isn't because still there's a lot of struggling with these things. I'm gonna lay that all out for you and get your thoughts. So I think um, CIOs have started to understand the medical device world, uh, but it's incredibly complicated to your point, right? So manufacturers start designing devices. Let's say they start designing it today, right? If it's a brand new device um, that's from scratch, square one, that's got to go through full FDA approval, that can take up to seven years, right? Mm -hmm. And so any operating system that I put in a, a computer today 
that doesn't actually ever hit the market for seven years, we automatically run into issues with operating system end of life, right? There's literally devices that still roll off the manufacturing floor today that have outdated operating systems wow. because the newer operating system has yet to be approved and released by the manufacturer. Those of us in healthcare like to point the finger at manufacturers going, you have to do this faster, you have to do this better. And there's there's some truth to that, but fundamentally the system is set up in a way that doesn't allow them to quickly release new products, right? And new systems. They have to go through a long regulatory uh, process of approval, which is very different than IT, right? Our IT counterparts don't quite understand that because I can go buy a laptop today, new operating system comes out, I can go buy a laptop tomorrow. Unfortunately, the regulatory piece of it causes all kinds of issues related to that. So, so that's your first issue, right? We physically have equipment that we're buying today that are brand new, that already are outdated from a, a infrastructure perspective, from an operating system perspective. On top of that, you have to think about the patient safety piece of it, right? And, and again, um, we all like to bash the manufacturers, but the manufacturers have a point. They validated and verified that, that piece of equipment works to the level to which they've they've obtained their regulatory approval. So anytime we as, as hospitals and hospital systems want to change that, there's actually laws and regulations that indicate that we become a manufacturer, right? So if I want to um, change a, a medical device, if I want to change its intended use, I want to change um, the operating system, anything like that, add a patch to it. I have to verify and validate that it, in fact, uh, does not affect quality and safety. And I have to do that as a, a manufacturer. So I have to register with the FDA. I have to go ahead and go through an entire quality assurance process. Uh, and, and then I have to report to the FDA. Most hospitals and hospital systems don't do that because, A, it's very expensive. Uh, and B, right, we don't have the subject matter expertise to do that. And so a lot of the CIOs historically have thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'll put this software on it and it won't have any effect. Um, they don't think about the regulatory implications of that. And so when manufacturers are telling us, you can't do this, you can't do that, it's actually trying to protect us as hospitals, right? We don't want to take the liability to become that manufacturer because it opens up all kinds of regulatory and legal uh, issues that we have to deal with. Now, I won't say that there aren't hospitals who've decided to go that route, because there are. There's just a lot of overhead to do that. Now, to your point, right, um, patching is something that a lot of, of IT folks understand, right? Patch Tuesday comes out for Microsoft, right? I get my package, I package it up, I push it out remotely. Again, this is something that doesn't work very well for medical devices, right? Patch Tuesday comes. We as medical uh, professionals have not verified or validated that that patch won't affect our medical device. We have to wait for our manufacturers to do that, right? And so sometimes that can take up to a year, right? And so if there's a year lag between when the patch comes out and when I can actually apply the patch, right, you're taking the risk of whatever that uh, vulnerability is for an extended period of time. So a lot of us in the hospital world have been pushing back on our manufacturers to more quickly approve patches and ver verify and validate them so that we can patch that equipment right uh, in a more real-time uh, manner. But it's very problematic, right? Because you have to prove from a manufacturer's perspective that that patch doesn't harm the device or harm the patient in any way um, before it can be approved and released. So that's where a lot of individuals have gone 
to patching is not the answer, right? It's a, it's a secondary control because it takes so long to patch a medical device. So therefore we're going to use something like segmentation, right? Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, not completely rid ourselves of the risk, right? Because in theory, our unpatched device is still a risk, but we're going to mitigate the attack surface across our entire network, right? So I'm going to segment all of my imaging devices into a single VLAN where it only talks to my packs. And therefore, if that segment of my network gets infected, I'm really only taking down a small portion of my network. The entire hospital is not going to go belly up. Uh, and so that's a mitigating factor a lot of hospitals have undertaken. It is expensive. It is time consuming. It's a lot to manage. Um, but managing at an individual device level is the same, right? If I'm tracking hundreds of patches for hundreds of devices over a year from when they're released, it's very time consuming and very um, um, effort driven to figure out what your risk is, where it is, and which one's the one you need to prioritize uh, to try and really control what's going on within your environment. Yeah, that that lag uh, sounds very troubling. I mean, is it is it correct to say that when a patch is released, especially if it's got security implications, that's a sort of waving your hand to the bad guy saying, hey, we got a problem over here. And if if they understand that these things are not implemented quickly, unlike regular patches in IT, which can be rolled out fairly quickly, I mean, you're pretty much putting up a sign for the bad guys. Yeah, and most medical devices, to your point, that have been around for a very long time, right? We've got medical devices that sit on uh, on our networks for seven, eight, nine, ten years, right? You have a ton of opportunity for right the bad actors to investigate those, right? I could spend six months learning how to break into a, a particular medical device, and I literally have all kinds of opportunity across the the entire ecosystem of healthcare because that medical device, you know, may be within a hospital for years. Right. Um, because the life cycle of those devices aren't nearly as short as, as some of the IT devices. And so um, the the ability to go ahead and um, uh, infect our networks are actually greater because of how we handle medical devices. Yeah. And I've been told the, the goal is not necessarily to mess with the medical device, uh, uh, but it's maybe more just an entryway into the network. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, um, it, uh, bad actors will use the easiest mechanism possible to get into your network. And then they want to go get whatever they want to go get, whether it's PHI, whether it's credit card data, right? They're after something else usually. Um, you know, we have yet to see individuals who, uh, you know, are really using the medical device as the as the end means, right? Their means are something else. They want to get to something else in your network. And they're just using that uh, as the open door, right, to get into where they need to get into. Right. So that that sort of I think the typical scenario we all fear is somebody messing around with the settings on our pump. But that's really not what what's going on so much right now. Correct. Right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that in the future. Right. Somebody doesn't have an axe to grind and that's that's their end means. But usually that's not the mechanism for which uh, they want to get into your network for. They want to get into your network for other data uh, that you have that that uh, they want to expose. Yeah. And I guess they'll do, like you said, they'll use whatever they can. I was speaking to someone the other day that talked about uh, hacking a casino through a fish tank camera or something. Sure. I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't remember that, but apparently it happened. So, uh, sure. Any, well, and, and yeah. you know, we talk about medical devices because 
uh, it's becoming very, uh, very well known to the CIOs and the CISOs that they have this risk we need to deal with. But we still have right elevator systems and, you know, and building automation systems and, you know, temperature monitors. There are thousands of devices that sit on the network in a hospital and all of them have to be protected, right? We always think about our CISOs, our CIOs, always, always think about our computers and our servers, but there's literally thousands of devices that sit on the network uh, that are all possible attack vectors. And, and we as a healthcare system have got to protect the entirety of our network. It's so interesting when you, we talked about um, clinical engineering reporting up to facilities at one point and became so technology heavy, uh, it got pulled out for about a third and report up to IT. Well, the next thing you know, facilities is going to be so IT heavy that they're going to want, everybody's going to wind up reporting to the CIO because everything is run by technology. We're yep. going in that direction as a society. Yep, yep. When, you know, we, we've all got clouds, right? Everything reports up to the cloud. We've got to go ahead and protect those as well. Um, the technology is becoming ubiquitous, you know? And so um, as, as technology continues to drive improvements in workflow and drive improvements in, in healthcare, right? The problem is IT can't be the only one who understands security, right? Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of the CISOs uh, have been driving, trying to talk about security is not a, a security issue. Mm -hmm. Security is everybody's issue. Right. We all need to be talking about it. We all need to be uh, understanding exactly what the risks are, right? Those in clinical engineering have to understand the risks of medical devices. Those in facilities have got to understand the security risks for their systems as well. Nursing, right? A transport. It doesn't matter where you are within within the healthcare organization. You need to understand that there are IT security risks everywhere in our organization, um, right? And those CISOs that are out there, you know, doing large education swaths to to help their population understand that and drive home that security is everybody's responsibility, right? I applaud you because that's fundamentally where, as a society, we're moving. Yep. That's uh, absolutely true. So what would your advice be uh, to, and, and you, if it's a different message for the CIO versus the CISO, take them one at a time. Um, what is your advice? They want to get these things secured. They know they have an issue. It's a challenging issue. What's your best advice to them? So I will tell you that uh, biomed and clinical engineering departments across the country are at varying levels, right? Very similar to your CIOs and your CISOs, right? Um, not everyone even understands the problem. So obviously the first thing that we need to do is everybody needs to understand what the problem is, right? What are the issues we're, we're trying to face? And, and we have to get to a, a roles and responsibilities type of mechanism and matrix, right? Um, I understand very clearly where manufacturers stand. Most organizations still are pointing at the manufacturers going, why aren't you doing blank, blank, blank? Because they don't understand how the, how the ecosystem kind of works. Once the education piece really gets uh, completed and we're all on the same page, it's then a roles and responsibilities kind of conversation, right? Who is patching this? Who is segmenting the network? How are we approaching risk as an organization to go ahead and reduce it? And that conversation's got to have a lot of people in it, right? Um, IT, whether it be the CIO or the CISO, um, can't look at risk without the clinical lens, right? And those of us in clinical engineering, we work very closely with our, our clinical counterparts, but we can't speak for them, right? And so 
right? If your CIO or if your CISO decides we're going to do this to go ahead and mitigate our risk, there needs to be a clinician in that conversation. How is this going to impact clinical care? Are you changing workflow? Are you changing how many steps somebody has to do to actually uh, take care of the patient? And so one of the things I would highly recommend for both the CIOs and the CISOs is as we're talking about mitigating risk, whether it be facilities risk, clinical engineering risk, whatever, there needs to be clinicians in that conversation. And there needs to be an understanding of what that impact looks like from an operations perspective. Balancing risk with taking care of patients is incredibly complicated, right? It's incredibly complicated. And you come, you come to try and have conversations like, what if, right, my big piece of medical equipment gets infected, okay? What is our game plan? What is our playbook, right, for responding to that? You go ask a CIO or a CISO, yep, shut it down, take it off the network, because that's what they do with their laptops. Well, what if I have a patient literally in the device, right, being cared for at that very moment? What's the impact of shutting it down? Are you actually harming a patient to do that? A lot of the CIOs and CISOs haven't thought through those types of conversations. And so building your playbooks, building out right your communication channels, understanding what implications look like so that you can make rational and reasonable decisions in a, in a quick manner when you need to uh, is something that all of us should be striving for. The problem is it's not as easy as following our typical playbooks, right? You need to talk to way more people and you need to understand a lot more implications and the choices aren't nearly as clear as we wish they would be. And so um, starting those conversations, creating those playbooks, and then practicing them, right? All of us have been through uh, various events and, and seen events that have happened in other organizations. If you don't practice what your plan is, right, you're going to still be caught flat-footed. You're not going to know what you don't know. Uh, and so, right, in a, in a typical mechanism, once you've planned what you're um, what your roles and responsibilities are, what you've documented them, put your playbooks together, practice them to see if they actually work or not. Here's my concern. And I, I totally get what you're saying. And I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people. I still feel like in order for this to work, it has to come down from someone who sits above all the interested parties. It's got to come from either the COO, the CEO, maybe the chief administrative officer, but I don't think any of them are thinking about this. And it feels, because it feels to me what you said and what I've heard other people say is essentially, well, it's everybody's responsibility. We all need to work together. But when I get down deeper into these individual conversations, it's, well, I'm doing my part <laughs> and other people have to do their part, but nobody's looking down and it has to be somebody who sits over IT, clinical engineering, disaster recovery, and looks down and says, hey, I need to convene a committee because this is a concern. And we need to know security incident, decision making, communication, getting the proper people involved, clinicians inform this system's coming online. Somebody needs to make sure the clinicians have a plan into what, how to go to paper. And you see what I'm saying? So what are your thoughts there? No, and I think um, especially with the way we've seen more events occurring, right? All of us have, have been reading the news. All of us have seen the massive events that have happened over the last year. And we all know about the uptick of ransomware and, and, and uh, occurrences across all of the healthcare sector. I don't think it's just the CEO that needs to be included. I started seeing uh, the risk committee of the board, 
right, having these conversations. So if the board is engaged to say, this is a risk, right, we know this is a defined risk, we know we have issues, look at what's happening uh, in the entire uh, healthcare environment, right, we're starting to see those conversations happen at a level they've never happened before at. And so those healthcare systems that are really, really concerned, right, uh, that that we don't have a great plan, right, and that uh, the risk continues to go up because all of our healthcare systems are being targeted now at a much higher rate, we need to get this together. And so I would agree, right, if it's not the CEO or the, the COO, uh, the risk committees of the board, right, in some instances are really looking at this to say, we need to pull together a team to really have our, our disaster recovery plan together, right, our response together. And those risk committees are the ones that at this point are looking at three and 400% increases in your cyber insurance, right? And so they leverage that kind of, of data to say, it's super expensive for us to mitigate the risk that we have. We have to be prepared from an operations perspective. And those healthcare, I'll tell you, the large healthcare systems have started having those conversations. They've started putting those plans together. But I would advocate for those mid and small hospitals, this is some something you guys should be doing as well, right? If it's not your CEO or COO that's leading it, right? Your clinical leaders and your technical leaders need to get together and have a conversation so that at least you can start planning. Because if you don't plan, right, you're going to end up uh, reacting to whatever is going to uh, affect you. And that, of course, is not a place that we any of us want to be. A hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. Uh, we only have about a minute or so left. Um, so my final question is, from your perspective, from where you sit, obviously a CIO and a CISO are going to be key individuals you need to work with. What do you want from them? What do you want from your CIO or CISO in terms of, you know, communication, relationship, um, just what what makes that relationship work from your point of view? Yeah, so so ultimately, it's a it's a partnership where we need to understand each other, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not a, a CIO, I'm not a CISO. I know enough IT to be incredibly dangerous, right? <laughs> but I, I've learned enough about networking, right, to understand uh, how stuff flows across the network. But I'm not the subject matter expert. I have to understand that they're not the medical equipment subject matter expert, and we need to rely on each other to really figure out what those roles and responsibilities are, right? Who is gonna patch servers? Is it gonna be the IT team? Is it gonna be my team? Who's gonna physically touch the medical devices to patch them? Does it depend if it's pushed from a network? Does it depend if I gotta go around with a stick and plug stuff in? It depends. And so having those uh, robust conversations with your uh, IT and CISO partners uh, is incredibly important, right? My security partners don't understand right, medical devices. So when I say, hey, your scan knocked over half my medical equipment, they look at me like, well, what do you mean, right? It's a, it's a passive scan. It's not going to hurt anything. We all have to come together with a, with a stance that says we're going to educate each other about our subject matter expertise because none of us are going to know everything. Once we build that relationship to really talk to each other about what our subject matter expertise is, we've got to be open to others' perspectives. And yeah. I think that's very challenging, right? Um, sometimes we like to see things in black and white. And once we end up in the healthcare world, right, there is absolutely nothing that is black and white. We have to figure out exactly what risks we're willing to take and where we're willing to take them. And that that's a conversation. That's not 
uh, the CISO indicating that it's this way, you know, my way or the highway type of stuff. And so, uh, again, it's all about relationships. You need to be able to build one where you have these robust conversations and you can disagree. You know, there's there's nothing that says you can't disagree, but you also have to get to a place where all of you have to understand that that what we're doing here is we're doing uh, everything we can to mitigate risk for the patient. And as long as we stay focused on what we're doing, right, and the patient focus of it, we'll end up in a place that's much better, right, than we are right now, right? Uh, individual silos or whatever unilateral decisions we're all trying to make for, for our best interest. We have to give that up. We really have to focus on what's best for the patient, right, and find a way to get from where we are today to there. Wow, fantastic interview, Sam. Great stuff. I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate you talking to me and I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, this is helpful for individuals. And if you've not gone and talked with your clinical engineering department, yeah. you find out who they are and you go have an introductory conversation with them. Well, I will tell you, I've been uh, focused on CIOs for uh, 12 years and CISOs for about three years. You are the first clinical engineering executive I've interviewed because of what's going on with these devices and the security implications. So you get that uh, distinction. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to help. And like I said, you know, uh, your clinical engineers have some great subject matter expertise, you know, go, go figure out who they are and go leverage them as much as you can. Thank you, Sam. All right. You have a great day. You too.